we, we mentioned earlier that Fast and Furious 9 is at the top of the box office chart right now. Now, we didn't say just how at the top of the box office chart this film is. Now, it's taken more than £6 million on its opening weekend in the UK. That's a record for the whole course of the pandemic. Um, it's enormously further ahead of everything else that's out at the moment. The next most popular film, Peter Rabbit 2, uh, took £800,000, which is a much more pandemic-sounding sum. So there's clearly a huge appetite to get back to cinemas. But there's the, an enormous part of that appetite is to get back to cinemas and see this film in particular. And I think something that comes across from that interview very powerfully is how enthused Vin Diesel still is by this stuff. This is by no means a given for leading men in long-running blockbuster franchises. I mean, if you look at Daniel Craig's relationship with Bond, for example, um, there's there's absolutely no doubt there that he's he's kind of he's he's seen the thing through. He you know he he gives his all to every individual role, but but part of that gruffness and that kind of exasperatedness with the with the role um, is 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 part of his whole Bond persona, right? Vin Diesel still seems extremely into these films, and I think to a large extent, when Fast Nine is otherwise running on fumes, it's his total commitment to the bit that keeps it going. Now, Mark on last week's show advised that the weight of Vin Diesel's heart while discussing Fast and Furious is, of course, to say they're not really about cars, they're about family or... Family. <laughs> In fact, no, that doesn't sound like Vin Diesel, that sounds like the honey monster. Let's move on and say, okay, look, I don't think the films are about family. I don't even really think they're about cars. My, my take on Fast and Furious series, which I think is all the more clear in light of this Moonraker-style journey into space scene, the Cardi B cameo, as you mentioned, in the new one, is that they're scratching the equivalent modern DH that the early James Bond films used to get at in the 60s and 70s. So it's like mega action, mega glamour, mega world travel. But then instead of this lionization of Bond's eternal bachelorhood, which was the thing in the 60s and 70s, it's the by now expected hymns to family and, you know, finding your tribe, your place in the world, your, 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 your people. Now, in this one, the key action scenes, I think, are better than they, they have been in Fast and Furious films for a while. I really enjoyed the chase through Edinburgh uh, with the lorry full of electromagnets. Really enjoyed the chase through Tbilisi with the lorry full of electromagnets. And the, as for the flight into space on a hatchback screwed to a rocket module, you know, what I found... And it's not, it's not, just, it's not just silly. It's, in fact, it's so silly that it becomes moving. Because you look at this, you know, um, Ludacris and Tyrese Gibson, you know, flying off into the exosphere... In, 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 a, in a car and you notice that the digital effects artists have taken the time to draw ice crystals onto the windscreen uh, because they want it to be as realistic as possible in this scene in which Ludacris and Tyrese Gibson drive a hatchback into space and ram uh, a bad satellite. Now, I think well, the films have marked out the territory by now. And, you know, as, as you said in the interview, it's about kind of delivering what the fans want. It might be silly to expect anything more than that from Fast and Furious now. But I think, in a way, the series has painted itself into a corner. So it's all enjoyable, but it's kind of enjoyable between, you know, kind of crunchy finger air quote marks. Um, you know, the, so you have Sun Kang coming back as Han. Now, that guy's died twice on screen already. The second time he died on screen... It was to say, ah, actually, he didn't die how you thought the first time. It was actually completely different. And then this time he's back and it's like, no, no, we were actually lying then as well. So, again, it's this stuff that you can kind of go, ha, ah, in the moment. But it, it, there's, there's a certain kind of distancing to that for, for me that means these are not connecting, you know, these are not blockbusters that connect on the same level as something like Tenet, for example. Um, and, you know, it, the same applies to these cameo. You know, Helen Mirren coming back, great. Cardi B, fine. Kids know who she is, lovely. 
Uh, but then you have Charlize Theron turning up with a haircut like, you know, Mackenzie Crook in The Office, spending the whole film standing in an aircraft hangar. Why are you here? You know, you're here because you were in the last one or the one before that or whichever one she was in. But the, the series has kind of accrued so much flotsam and jetsam over the years. It's kind of stuck doing what it can do and doing no more. You know, these ambitions run in certain directions fine. It's all fun as far as it goes. But to me, it feels like at this point, there's only so much further it really can go. And I am, I'd be lucky if I said I wasn't relieved that it was almost over. I've got to tell you, I am the person they are aiming this movie for. Like, hearing you, Robbie Collin, whose voice is just ambrosia, describing the set pieces in this movie filled my heart with joy. I was beside myself with glee. Like, I... I loved it. I would like to hear you describe, so there's this submarine, it bursts through the ice flow, then there's the rock and he takes a torpedo and pushes it into a car and everything explodes. These films are fun. This movie, I think, turns the dial down on fun just a little too much for me. There are moments when it gets really involved in the family and the it pushes away from the goofiness a little too much for me and it, it, it's very caught up in its own brotherhood and seriousness and that's never been my favorite side of things I've, I've always been much more the fast five style there are these two muscle cars in rio we're smashing up all of rio pretty much dragging a safe on a pair of wires around the place i'm the guy that is cheering both fists in the air when the rock steps off out of his hospital bed and then flexes his cast off his arm that presumably is very broken I'm the person just screaming with is this really happening delight when the Staith, for it is he, smashes headlong, headlong into Vin Diesel's car and they just crunch together and they get out. Then they beat each other up with giant poles. At one point Vin Diesel smashes his foot into the ground and part of a concrete car park falls away. All of these movies over the past four or five films, it really picked up after Fast Five, have got the goofy silly oh my actual lord in heaven am i really seeing what i'm seeing factor just right to my eyes i've really enjoyed that you've got to see this film because as mark said last week he swings off a rope bridge with a hook and a cable and then flips over a ravine i love all of that stuff but i am i struggle to really truly care as much as i know they might want me to about the family and the brotherhood and i think uh the writer i think he's called chris morgan who had been writing these movies from fast or rather too fast too furious until uh hobson shaw the spin-off didn't come back for this one and i personally noticed it i wanted a bit more of that silliness that humor it's there in some places but um whilst i don't think this is a bad fast and furious movie there are some of them it's not going to be in my top five, uh, for sure. Definitely not my top three. Um, I liked it, but then again, I am a Fast and Furious fan. I think I began by being ironically a fan of them, and now I just think I've gone through the looking glass. <laughs> it's pulling you down. I've crossed the Rubicon, and I just... You, you know, this is a weird situation. We're both professional film critics, and we're watching a ton of movies. And then very occasionally, you watch a film that is so delightfully, to my eyes, self-awarely off its skull bonkers that I just 
sit back and let it wash over me. And that's what the Fast and Furious franchise is for me. Here's the end of my TED Talk. I hope you've enjoyed it. Um, you know, tip your waiter. There you go. <laughs> See, this is heretical, but the one Fast and Furious film that has worked for me in that way is Hobbs and Shaw. Not the one that kind of steps away from the the diesel nexus point of the whole franchise. It's I, you know I, to hear you describing them makes me wish I loved them more than I do because yeah. I think on paper these films sound completely irresistible, but there's always a struggle in the cinema, except with Hobson Shaw for some reason, and maybe it was just the combination of The Rock and the Stath and the Curbs because of course. Vanessa Kirby's a, oh, she's great. a crucial part. Yeah. It's absolutely tremendous. You know, the crown and then that. You know, what range? Also, um, also we've got the Driss. Can't forget and the Driss. The Driss. The and there's, there's the sequence at the end where they're punching each other in the rain. Mm-hmm. And it's just slow motion fist connecting with slow motion face. It's Love the philosophical it. conundrum. You know, what happens when an irresistible force meets an immovable object? And the irresistible force is Idris Elba's fist. And the immovable object is the rock's face. And you see what happens, which is it kind of goes in slow motion with rain pouring down and cheeks kind of rippling. And that was the one moment where I kind of hit that fast and furious bliss that you're describing. And otherwise, I've just found myself kind of slightly anyway. Having experienced that, I'd love to experience it again. I hope the next two films yield up some more of that. Um, There was a little bit of it in Edinburgh this time. Uh, But there we are.